0: when they do their quality of earnings. And what I mean by that is the financial part of a quality of earnings is somewhat similar deal to deal. The data inputs vary. The work you have to do to get them into a standard format varies, but the output is pretty consistent. If you look at a hundred reputable firms, quality of earnings. Yeah. We'll structure stuff differently, different levels of depth in the analysis. Right. But they look similar.
1: There's an entire generation of Americans who no longer care about prestige, titles, work travel, fancy offices, and lunches. Welcome to Mundane Millionaires, a podcast for this generation of small business owners who want to set their ego aside and focus on what matters, family, community, quality of life, and cash flows. In each episode, Eric Pasifici and Kevin Henderson, uncover what it takes to get a little money in the bank, control your time and invest in building great families and lives. Let's get started.
2: All right, Eric, we're back with another conversation with Elliot Holland of Guardian due diligence. what do you think, man?
1: Kev, it's good to see you. So I love Elliot. I've known Elliot. We started, we're going to start our firm. One of the first people I reached out to was Elliot because I really admired what he was doing in the space. And and since, you know, getting in the trenches in these deals, I, I admire what he does even more because, you know, having a high quality financial professional supporting your transaction is so important, particularly right now. And we lead off right off the bat with, you know, the hot topic of the hour. Are people buying businesses that they shouldn't be? is the economy. What are you seeing? He's in the weeds, you know, and I love people who are in the weeds with financials like this, whether it's the lenders or the QE providers, they have yeah. fantastic perspectives. Anything that jumped out at you in the interview? Great anecdotes.
2: My, my mind is still reeling from his comment that over the last year, up to 40 plus percent of deals he's looked at from his perspective, just absolute blatant fraud in the in, fraud, in the financial Fraud,
1: Fraud and and I push him on that because I'm like, do you mean fraud? You mean messy financials? Yeah. he's like, no, it's almost he's unbelievable. Like, no. He's like, I, yeah, that is a high number, Kevin. That is a high. That, if that should give every searcher pause to say, I need to be very careful that I don't, as Elliot says, end up in the poorhouse by buying one of these fraudulent deals.
2: And it's worth, as we're talking about this again, we mentioned a few times during the episode of this sounds like a commercial. And on the one hand, I feel bad that the other hand, I don't, because we believe so strongly in, in financial diligence, but just straight disclaimer, Eric and I have no financial interest in guardian due diligence and Elliot's business. We don't get kickbacks. I mean, we, we have, this this isn't a commercial. It's just the product is so, so, so important for yeah. families who are leveraging literally their entire financial future yeah. on, on a transaction like this. It's just, it's so important to get this right. And hearing that statistic, just, I mean, like I said, I'm still reeling. I, I, I'll i be thinking about it all weekend because that's just mind blowing.
1: Well, I, I tell all my clients this as I'm making these recommendations, because I want them to know that I'm not making these recommendations because there's anything in it for me. In fact, legal ethics say that we have to do what's in the best interest of our clients. And what's in the best interest of a business buyer is to go find high quality service providers. Even if you're the most sophisticated financial mind that exists, don't burden it with having to do a proof of cash when you've got a lender to worry about and your family to worry about and the job to worry about and legal to worry about and the seller to worry about. It's too much. Go find the right person. And Elliot really talked. And and I think people will enjoy also just as a starting point, like what is quality of earnings? You know, what is we get into that and Really drill down. And so I enjoyed the interview. I knew I would. Elliot's fantastic. You're okay as well, Kevin. So
2: as as usual, subpar performance from my co-host Eric, but just absolute dynamite performance (laughs) from our guest Elliot. Someone's got to hold this thing together, Kev. So I appreciate it. I think you're going to love this episode. So enjoy our conversation with Elliot,
1: and we'll talk to you next week. All right. Elliot Holland, welcome to the pod Monday Millionaires. Great to have you on the show, and always good to see you. What's up, uh, fellas? What's going on?
2: Oh, you know, live in the dream, as they say, Elliot. It's going to be
1: a I see the dream behind you, <laughs> <laughs> Kevin doesn't goof around. Kevin, Kevin drinks 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and I want the ethics. Um, this is me dog whistling to the bar. I, <laughs> you know, you know, it's been, uh, it's been tough because I'm,
2: I'm doing this big trek here in a couple of weeks, so I've been trying not to drink in September. Normally, I'd be drinking on this
1: recording, but anyway, we'll stick so, with water. Elliot, excited to have you on the pod. I want to get right after it with, I think, the topic of the hour, which is we got a lot of people out there right now that are saying that Main Street is on the verge of a bust, that we're looking at staring down the barrel of a recession, we're sitting on the edge of chaos, whatever. You know, I went to a business buying boot camp yesterday, and I, the question I asked Twitter was, what do you want to tell the buyers? And a few wise guys said, tell them to build a business don't buy one cuz they're going to they got it's you know we've got problems on the horizon you're in the weeds with these deals you look at financial statements all day long you look at these businesses inside and out what's your perspective do you really believe that we're at a precipice where we're we're looking at difficulty in small business
0: so I don't think anybody should stop looking to buy a business. I still think fundamentally it's the best way to generate wealth. It's hard though. I I would say that a year ago, and I got kind of beat up on Twitter. We had had like 12 years of an upmarket, right? Right. Leading into 2023. And one of my first tweets in 2023 is like, this is going to be a falling knife year. Everybody's yelling and screaming. I'm lying. I don't know what I'm talking about. I'm like, all right, cool. I'm the idiot cool. What did we see? We saw softenings. We saw people having to work harder. We saw those notes, the interest going up. We saw people that got into things that were difficult. we got some folks that I think are coming back saying, oh, don't do it. But like starting a business is so different than buying one. I think that feedback is trash, honestly.
2: I, I wish listeners could have seen your face when Eric said that because you're Your face was broadcasting as Eric was talking what you thought of that. What? Why in this environment do you think still think that's true? I'm I'm curious.
0: Why do I think it's still trouble?
2: Yeah, like can startup be a hedge against some of these you know rising in this rising? Like
0: here's the thing, dude. So like startups. So I'm gonna start an HVAC company, right? So what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna go buy some trucks, start doing one house, then two houses, then four, then eight. Who am I feeding? Whose wife is saying, hey, quit that $150,000 job to go put a roof in. And then when you start, you roofing, bro. You're in the truck, the white truck. That's all they drive. Like, are you really talking about that? You know what I mean? Like, okay, now a plumbing company. Like, do you know how to fix the back of a toilet? Do you fix your own toilet? So, like, I think people say the thing I'm doing is hard. Go do the other thing. Nah, man. All these startups are hard. Buying a business and running is hard. Now, what I think we've done in F and done a good job is we have numerically, with a lot of evidence points, said that buying is better than building, right? I don't think that changes just because the market's down 10%. What I will say is I think people are still coming in with those wild 2021, 2022 multiples and those skinny 10% seller notes. I mean, I think that. Crash has to go out the window. So you're, you're, but that's going to force buyers to be stronger are, negotiators.
1: Are you talking about 5X? Like what multiple
0: specifically are you seeing? Crazy ones, honestly. I'm seeing a lot of sixes, a lot of, a lot of fives on like $400,000 of SDE, like not even EBITDA.
2: When you say seeing, you're saying that people are coming to you as a quality of earnings provider with a deal they're thinking about buying at these multiples and you're scratching your head wondering how on earth are you making a 6x multiple work in a 2023 environment the same way it did in a 2021?
0: Well, all right, I'm going to go off topic and bring it back. So I used to <laughs> be in private equity. I used to be a deal guy. I used to be in the shoes of my clients. So I think it's unfair to say that I'm scratching my head like you're crazy because the market sets the price. If I want Bob's roofing you know, company in Oklahoma, And that crazy dude wants 6X. My choice is to get that deal or not. And a lot of folks are sort of, if I live in Oklahoma and I don't want to leave and everything else I've seen is 10 hours away, I get it. But I don't think that we've pushed hard or people have talked about larger seller notes. Like SBA kind of set the market at 10. I think 20 and 30 were marketplace norms five or six years ago. I also think that we're letting people add way too much BS back to SDE to then get a multiple that's too high. And I think the market hasn't sizzled down, but I also think buyers, especially first time buyers don't know how to push.
1: Is this reflective of, is this different? So you've been doing quality of earnings. You started Guardian in 2020, which obviously dramatically different environment. We had COVID and all that, but then we come out of that and you know valuations are, right. is what you're seeing different today than what you were seeing in 2020?
0: Oh yeah, 2020 was the whole market screwed and the government saving everybody, <laughs> right? I mean, sure, it was yep. bad. We were home, couldn't leave, but we're getting checks. But,
1: but I mean, forget about COVID. I mean, like, you know, when things were better versus oh. now when things are supposedly, you know, overheated and on the way
0: down. Look, when the market's been going up for 12 years, it's hard for anyone who's not a prudent investor to think anything besides it going up is going to happen. So the six X's, the five X's, you know, the 30 day and the seller is gone, like the very seller friendly terms. We're flying in 2020 and 2021, even in 2022. Now, I will say this, 85% of my book of business are first-time buyers. So my data is skewed towards that. Now what I'm seeing is people sort of having a hard time getting their debt service coverage ratio to work inside of a transaction at five and six X. But they're trying to figure out how to get the seller's price on the LOI. I haven't seen folks do a great job of push a little bit, and get a deal that they actually want to do. I've seen a lot of folks, I think, that are at the very, very, very edge of like every constraint in their system when they purchase.
2: When you see someone, I'm I'm just trying to think, so what, how does someone get to that point better prepared? I, I guess I'm struggling with the way to ask the question, but what what's the difference that you see when searchers are coming and talking to you and you're like, okay, this this person gets it. This person understands they're approaching their modeling differently versus this other person where you're like, okay, we, we got to take a step back and really walk through methodically to help lead the, lead the horse to water, so to speak.
0: Yeah. I think it's practice. And, and I think you can get practice without a whole bunch of years, but I'll say this, you go to SM bash and you talk to like a reg Zeller. Or uh, John John Wilson, or one of these guys that have negotiated several deals, and yeah. they will call BS on stuff and just say, I ain't doing it. Yeah. You guys can go ahead and do it. I ain't doing it. I have rules, restrictions. It's cute, Lo- lovely business. I'm out. Right. And when they negotiate, they're not trying to make sure the seller's whole or they're not even listening to the broker. Like they've been around this enough to know that they're the money bags of what they say is goes and deals that they want to get done. Whereas the, 35 people that have not consummated a deal and probably are like their first or second LOI, the questions that they ask are like, well, you know, it's a million dollars of SDE, but only $400,000 of EBITDA. And they want, you know, eight times the SDE. And I'm trying to get a seller note or earn out to get there. No, dude, it's not worth that. And so I think if, if you put it on the edges, it's the practice. And so I think people should play their first LOI sooner. One of my famous sayings is send the darn LOI. And you should practice on each one as if you were just getting ready for the main event, as opposed to haphazardly doing the first one and not getting all the lessons.
2: It's it's interesting you say that because I just recently returned from Hold Co conference and had a conversation with someone who walked away from a deal while at the conference uh, over largely exactly what you're talking to this is a person that does a lot of you know has a lot of reps really experienced the seller came back with a with a crazy ask of kind of I know what this is worth to you as the buyer so I want more money and he was kind of like pound sand onto the next one and I, I I think there's a there's a lot to be to be said there The the natural pushback we always get on this line of discussion, though, and, and I'll leave it to you to intuit who, who pushes back on this. But that's always like, you know, this concept of getting reps, don't put in the LOI unless you're like absolutely committed to closing that deal.
0: That ain't but- the game. That ain't the <laughs> game we playing. We're not playing a get nice game. We're playing a get rich game. Get, so, Reg, why I love guys like him. He's like, I'm getting rich. And if you don't like the way I'm doing it, that's okay. And that's not, yeah. he's a great guy. He's not a mean fellow. It's just my strategy is my strategy. I'm going with it. So that's how I yeah. experienced Brian.
1: Have you, you spent time around so, him, Elliot? I don't you know. <laughs> Shout out to Reg. If he's listening. I think,
2: I think Reg called you out at Holdco conference that you aren't spending time with him, Eric. You keep not uh, going to the events he's at.
1: <laughs> maybe there's a reason for that, Kevin. I don't know. We'll talk about it when we have him on the pod, but I'm kidding but it's,
2: it's a great point, Elliot. And I tend to agree with you. I was curious your, your feedback and I, I love the way you put it. Not and
0: here's it. the thing. So in no other world would this person that we're talking about have as loud of voice as they do. It's only because it's S&B Twitter, right? Need to buy companies at reasonable multiples to get maximum ROI and whatever they have to do to do that is what they have to do. And unfortunately we are not going to sit here and lie and act like you put, hundred brokers in a room and hundred are telling the truth hundred percent of the time. Mm-hmm. So how in a system where people are misstating truths, am I supposed to be the only honest Johnny making sure I'm doing right by everybody else? No, that's not the game. That ain't the game.
1: Elliot, let's talk about your, your story. Let's talk about your story. Cause you're, you have an interesting background. you you're not, you know, I don't want to tell it. You could tell it yourself, but you know, HBS, you search, you started guardian. Tell us about your your search process because ultimately you, you you didn't end up acquiring. Tell us what you're trying to buy and w- what happened.
0: So the quick background: our undergrad engineer, HBS, got into private equity, like the former Wall Street stuff. Realized private equity is really about owning equity, not working for folks that represent equity of trust funds and, and pensions. And so I, I rolled out with a mentor of mine, and we were independent sponsors, which are just searchers with MBAs or past deal experience, in my opinion. So with my business partner, I did three deals, a trucking company, automotive parts business, and a clinical trials business. And then I spun out when he effectively retired. And I took a run at several companies. The one that I ran at probably most heavily was a durable medical equipment company in Arkansas. And one of my equity guys, mentors, who I didn't know had perverse incentives, blew the deal up. And I was overextended, like big broke. So I was driving my, my Land Rover truck through Atlanta, driving for Uber, trying to pay the rent. I was that overextended. And so I took a look at the marketplace and I knew how difficult it was when I was doing deals to find good quality of earnings providers for smaller deals. Smaller deals are different because the human element of the seller is such a bigger component. And recognizing that they're typically underdeveloped in, in the financial department. So sending these hundred point lists, yeah you should be able to know as a buyer but like you're putting everybody to sleep bro those quality of earnings providers were pervasively messing up deals and i said there's room for a better quality of earnings provider here that has deal experience that can help not only on sort of the the basic financial due diligence but also as all these new entrants to the market come and these first-time buyers show up who don't have the negotiation experience from my past How are they going to succeed on their first or second or third LOI? They're going to need somebody like me to help them understand what's crazy, what's inbounds, and what's on the line. You got to make a judgment call. And so Guardian was formed to be the quality earnings firm I wish I had when I was searching. And as we expand our services, we're trying to figure out more and create more creative ways to serve searchers. That's our main customer type.
2: So I want to push on that a little bit to understand and love that origin story it sounds very familiar Elliot which we've talked about openly here on Twitter elsewhere but I'm curious so so get a little more specific what was it in the QOE world that you were seeing you know put aside some of the simple stuff like you know tone deaf 100 point you know diligence checklist And I don't want to minimize like I mean that can really set the diligence process off on the wrong foot, but like, what else, what specifically were you looking at thinking, man, some of the Q of E products out there, they, they just, they aren't getting it or at least aren't getting it for, for this category of business buyer, right? Maybe they're private equity shops. They're overthinking. They're too wonky. Like what, what specifically were you seeing and saying to yourself, man, I can do a B and C and, and provide a way better product and, and solution for my clients.
0: Yeah. So there's three main ways that I thought QOE providers for small deals suck. The first way was that you, a person will say, Hey, I'm buying a deal. I want a somewhat branded QOE. So I want like a top hundred CPA firm. I want the firm that the private equity guys go to. So the guy who sells you is the same guy that sold the private equity firm down the street, but you don't get the A players on your deal you get the dudes fresh out of accounting school, right? That are making their bones on your million dollar bet. Yeah. And screwing a lot of stuff up and having to correct it and the timelines blown. And so you get to see players at the big shops. That was one suck. The other suck was a $2 million deal is like doing a deal at the family reunion, right? (laughs) No, it's real human to human. It's like I'm buying Joe's business that he built for 20 years in his hometown you know, he, he sponsors all the sports in that town. He's put kids through college. His CPA, his, sorry, his controller is some dude from high school that knew how to count really well and just he trusted with his money. And his lawyer is probably some hometown dude that this might be his third transaction. And so when you bring like a audit-centric QOE firm into that environment, it's like bringing Wall Street to the family reunion. It's like oil and water. And when you're trying to get a QOE done in four weeks or get a deal done in 90 days and your QOE firm causes tension in your deal, not you as a buyer, your QOE firm, which I've seen happen, you just paid for a problem. That's the second suck. The third suck was in small deals, you ain't going to get all electronic documents. Right. Ain't going to happen, Captain. So a lot of these firms, as soon as they get their first PDF or their first Data set that's not exactly in the format that they want it to be, they effectively throw their hands up. They just ask so many questions that they they can't go forward, and so now you're like three weeks into a four week QOE, forty five days into a ninety day close, and your quality of earnings firm is saying, "Well, the working capital is not truly on a accrual basis, and the adjustments they sent aren't really accrual, and I don't know how to correct it in the quality of earnings, and I don't want to put my name on something that goes to." A lender, it's not perfect. And so now their need for perfection slows your deal down and causing tension. So those so, are the three I thought QA providers for small deals sucked.
2: So, so how are you solving that though? Because, and, and forgive my ignorance on financial diligence, but at a certain level, there are some things like you just really can't do your job without. And I see this happen back, back to your point number two, where it's, you know, really friendly. The sellers never sold a business before though. You know, it's like the family reunion. And then all of a sudden they're being asked for, we want your QBO file. We want bank statements. We want tax returns back several years. And they're like, why the hell am I giving you this? Right. At at the end of the day, at some point you can't do an effective QOE if you don't have the general ledger.
0: Thank you for the bounce pass, brother. That's that's what I'm here for. Layups, buddy. Hey man, CP3. I love it. So I use the example all the time of a fixed asset list, right? So 10 trucks uh, doing hauling up the East coast and you got your QOE list, right? And they're like fixed asset list. I don't have a fixed asset. Yeah. Well, wasn't it in your taxes? Yeah, but that's for depreciation purposes. It's not really true. There's no market values on it. Don't you guys have an asset list that you keep? No, we don't have it. So that's something that you couldn't close the deal without. But come on, guys, this ain't hard. Somebody knows if one of those 10 trucks walks off that yard that somebody stole it. And I asked that question on calls. I'm like, so if I walked on your yard and stole one of your trucks, nobody would know. Oh no, nah, man. Somebody would know Johnny. He's out there in the lot all the time. No way you were know Johnny, Johnny got the list.
2: Perfect. Get me Johnny. Yeah. Okay.
0: All these, all these things that we love in a perfect area, and perfect data sets are available in some abstract form. If you just think mentally about what it is, I think the separation of like the business versus the numbers gets us in trouble. I mean, I've done deals on companies, that didn't have financial systems guys. Like there's a way to get the data into the best form so somebody can make a decision. And, you know, we can't do everything. Right. But I've sat next to people I've been called with ABC firm won't make an assumption or, or, do the work to go get a data piece. And now to close the deal, buyer X has got to come to have me finish their QOE. And it's like, really? Like all that complexity for a piece of data. And then for small businesses like mine, we don't have C players. I can't sell QOEs to these very specific spending their own money folks with C players. Like you got to bring a game every single day. And then the thing about handling people in the right way is If you come off as an auditor, you're going to get the treatment the auditors get when people are sending data versus if you're like, hey, I got this thing I got to do before you get your seven million dollar check. I'll be as nice as I can. The quicker we can do it, the better. It just lays a foundation for ease that I think I've seen people's shoulders drop on like video calls and I'm like, hey, I got this thing I do all the time. I got to do it here. I'm not here to blow up deals. Nobody would hire me if that was what I did. They just give me the data and make it efficient. I'll stay out of your way and I'll be done in four to six weeks. Shoulders just drop. My yeah.
1: my doctor said just basically the same thing right before I got my last colonoscopy. So that sounds very familiar to me. But that's right. a joke,
2: Eric. So, I need Ellie, to remind you again. This is a family show.
1: Family show. Okay. Family show. Yes, I do. I do that every time. But Ellie, let's let's pause for a second and tell us what it, what is quality of earnings? Why I'm buying a business like. Why don't I just look at the books myself? What do you do?
0: Sure. If you speak accounting, as good as a CPA, you should look at them yourself. So I tell people that too. I think people say, look at it themselves. It's like looking at something in Japanese. You can look at it. What are you going to figure out about it? You know, on your biggest bet of your life, probably by 10 X, right? Million dollar first guarantee. And you're going to look at it in a language, you don't speak. So what is the quality of earnings? Small businesses, have unaudited financials with huge volatilities and when sellers know they're getting four to seven to eight times sde it's probably the biggest time in their life where the incentive is the largest to tell a, a story is what i'll say since we're a family <laughs> show and if they sell you the stories like the used car lot there's no take backs yeah so how do you take volatile small business financials i'm um, underinvested in financial stacks that controller that went to high school with the owner that Counts good, but that's about it. You know what I mean? The CPA to just paid $1,500 to do the taxes, but you're trying to treat him like he's in the books once a month. How do you get that into a format where equity investors can make a decision? You know, sometimes banks can make a decision. So the quality of earnings is an audit-like tool made for small deals where instead of focusing on every single thing in the world like an audit does, you're focused on understanding cash flow for the particular period so that somebody can say, okay. Broker said SD is 900. SD is really 750. And now that we know what it is, we can actually make decisions as lenders, as equity, as the buyer on what to do. You know, what's actually there.
2: Well, I was going to say that, that sounds fairly straightforward. And I, and I promise for listeners, I'm not purposely making this into a sales pitch. I'm genuinely curious because you, you offer different tiers right through guardian of right. quality of earnings review. So what I mean that that description sounds very succinct, very simple, but it sounds kind of like one size fits all on these smaller deals. So ha- where do things then vary in in quality of earnings? And if I'm a buyer, how am I thinking about what type of review am I doing? What what are we really looking at? You know, it, are there things beyond proof of cash that for certain businesses, for example? If I'm looking at real retail, I really also need to be thinking about X from a financial diligence standpoint.
0: So I recently sent an email said that most people are shooting two air balls when they do their quality of earnings. And what I mean by that is the financial part of a quality of earnings is somewhat similar deal to deal. The data inputs vary. The work you have to do to get them into a standard format varies, but the output is pretty consistent. If you look at a hundred reputable firms, quality of earnings. Yeah. We'll structure stuff differently, different levels of depth in the analysis. Right. But they look similar. Here's the difference in small businesses, 2 million bucks, 5 million bucks, 10 million bucks retail. You got to look at leases for the rent Is the main tenant leaving, you know, leave the whole thing hanging. What's their point of sale system. So these are outside of the realm of a normal QOE, but. Is that included or not? You know, in a company that takes deposits, right? So I was working on a company where every quarter they take deposits for the rest of the quarter to do work. So that creates complexity and balance sheet accounts that you actually really need to reconcile, not just at the end of the quality of earnings period, but at the end of close so that you don't get a business where all the cash was sucked out of it and you don't have any deposits coming and your working capital is crazy. And because you haven't been sitting in the business, and you probably don't speak working capital. You wouldn't know what to do. Or like a lot of online businesses, you need to do the proof of cash and the financial analysis. But if you're not looking at the Amazon stuff, you're not looking at their point of sale. If you're not looking at Stripe, if you're not looking at the um, digital marketing analytics, you actually miss the boat. Um, and so part of the provider that you choose is do they actually know what you need to look at? to get comfortable. Otherwise, most people are gonna minimize the amount of work that they're gonna do for what you're paying.
2: Right, that's actually, it's a great point, And I love the yeah. the way you said that because I feel like a lot of people view the Q E product and process as really a retrospective, just kind of historical audit for lack of a better word. And you know, without fully appreciating how important it is prospectively as well, because it, uh, like you said, I mean, you you can buy a business without having gone through a robust quality of earnings review and really understanding what's truly happening in the v- business versus what's being told to you in the SIM in order to start on that right foot, because the worst possible case you can end up with, absent fraud, is to close a business and three weeks later realize Oh shit, I don't have enough cash to make payroll, right? And, yeah, and, or and,
0: oh, shit. I feel like that's an
2: underappreciated aspect of sort of how Q of E helps business owners on day one through day sixty really kind of level set and be, be set up for success going forward.
0: There was a All recent right, podcast let's... that we talked about a deal that um, we now know has the people had to shut the person had to shut it down and it was so bad yeah. that they left the person anonymous, right? That person decided to look at the numbers themselves, right? And they worked mm. at a job where they had some financial capacity. And if you listen to it as a diligence provider, you'll hear about 17 or 18 misses that she shared.
1: Well, we, we saw it as a legal provider and we, uh, we were seeing the same, I mean, from consulting services oh, to, you know, giving away the retention bonuses. And it's easy to pick on that person, I guess, in hindsight and, you know, obviously we got a canned version of it,
0: and seeing the day-to-day, is a little bit but i don't want to pick i actually think that was the bravest thing anybody's done this year totally but i think we'd be fools not to learn i would high five that person if i saw him because they said hey look this is how you can get screwed and i'm uncomfortably willing to put myself out there and some people have gone at her and i think that's unfair if somebody is old enough to be vulnerable in that way i'm about to lose a million bucks I think they should be respected hard stock. But I think the lesson there is you don't want to be the one counting numbers on your biggest bet, and you don't do that every day. Like, I wouldn't write, I, know, I know my well, way around the legal but, document.
1: But, Elliot, that's why you said earlier, you know, if you know accounting, feel free, do it yourself. I, I disagree with that. I fundamentally disagree with that. And the biggest issues we've had in transactions with really sophisticated buyers that can do a, you know, a proof of cash or quality of earnings all day is, again, the context, right? The experience, not you know, a lot of them are coming from investment banking or coming off Wall Street, it's different. And then yeah. two, the, the overconfidence, right? So, you know, I'm overly yep. confident. I'm, you know, you're, you're likely to make mistakes. But the, the biggest thing is these transactions move so incredibly fast. There's so much going on. You, you know, in addition to the fact that you probably have a family, you got kids, you're trying to manage legal, you're trying to manage the, the relationship with the seller. You want that relationship to be as good as, as possible. And yet you're the person pinging them for, you know, the QuickBooks online files. It doesn't, it doesn't work. And we, and I have concrete examples of people who have deals that frankly should have died earlier, right? They should have died earlier because they should have hired a quality earnings provider. They would have found it early on in the process, or we would have figured it out and the seller and them would have worked through it, but instead they held on for months. And then we're having a knockdown dragout fight at the three yard line over pretty rudimentary. And these are like,
0: I'm well, not kidding. As
1: sophisticated. So can I change right like, right as is and I, and on I top of that, right. I, I'm on, not. This is, yeah. go ahead, Cap.
2: Well, I was just gonna say on, on top of that, like, I don't care what level of MBA you are and how much experience, like deal savvy experience you have in private equity or whatever. Like nobody goes through this process without emotional ties to their deal. Yeah. And like, if if you go in thinking, well, no, I'm I'm rational. I worked at a PE shop. I've looked at a hundred deals. I've got a Wharton MBA. Like, I can step back and look at that. No, you can't. I mean, you just can't when you're. What well, a funny part the is seller. they did
0: it in their previous lives. So what totally. the hell makes them think they can do it here? Totally. I I totally. don't sell uphill on QOE, Eric. So like when you asked me earlier, <laughs> who should get one, I kind of did the thing. I don't want to argue with the customer. If somebody I, thinks I, that I they agree. can do it then go do it. Have fun. I'm not going to sell uphill because it doesn't make any sense for me. But what I will say is 25% of my book of business are private equity, investment bankers, accountants who know they're not objective. You're going from a six-figure salary to a seven-figure opportunity, right? And it all looks glossy in the broker's um, sim. And it's changing your life when you're thinking about different private schools and that private jet five years. And you (laughs) want to be the objective person to say, hey, the numbers ain't right with right. and most of my right. clients have families kids you got to deal with that's gonna be law and the legal you got to deal with somebody on in the insurance you got to go understand this industry you got to ask these like bespoke questions on twitter hoping you're gonna get an answer you got to sit down at night and be like butt Clinching, like am i really going to put a million dollars on the line for this and you want to be doing the qoe and then the thing is so much of small business financials are that they're not stated correctly so now right. you're going to tell me you maximize the analysis of some financials that weren't stated correctly good yep. effort yeah
1: yeah i mean well in two i mean the the objectivity of i am six months into this probably from the time i started diligencing it to getting under loi yep. now i've been at this for three months and then i discover that they have you know two weeks before closing i discover that they haven't been whatever crediting inventory off of cost of goods sold and it's now a valuation and i'm in the deal for 75k between you know the lender and various things and also my time and the kids you know i've been telling the kids we're moving from you know atlanta georgia to denver colorado we're looking at schools we're looking at rental houses and and i'm supposed to make a sound judgment call i mean colorado we're looking at schools we're looking at rental houses and and i'm supposed to make a sound
0: judgment call i mean it's
1: i had a bar on stuff that sometimes
0: can show up as like Bank statements don't match the balance sheet by 5%, but that little shift, if you just say, oh, I'm just going to fix it, you don't realize that that implies the whole financial system is off, and it could be completely different. And then folks doing on the yeah. $100,000, $300,000, $400,000 SDE deals. You make a $200,000 SDE mistake, you go into the poor house. Yeah. There's not well, enough juice in there for you to recover. I'm
2: going st- to steal Eric's comment. That he, I've heard him make repeatedly, and I don't want to belabor this topic too much, but I I love the way he puts it. And that's if like shit hits the fan and this deal tanks, like I have to be able to look my spouse in the eye and say, when my house is being repossessed, I did literally everything I could. Like this was out and out fraud. Like there was nothing I could have done. I don't want to be in the position where I'm like, oh my gosh, Like I'm not an accountant. I thought I was savvy enough and I, I just right. I totally missed it. I
0: this. saved $10,000 on my QOE. They did the bare minimum for what they were paid. I yeah. took it and was so happy that they just va- validated my I'm in love with the deal decision. And now I'm ruined and everybody else in the transaction got paid. Yeah, yeah. but I'm looking at kids and wives in the house and now we got to go pay off this debt by us working harder. We, we bought a, a, a crater. And, right. and you were trying to save 10 grand? On a million-dollar bet, like And
1: this, this is going to sound like a sales pitch for QOE, but it's because it is, <laughs> right? Like, no, I, I, I tell, this is what I, I tell everyone. Listen, this is too important of a decision. Yeah. And I've had some bad things happen to me in life. I've had setbacks. I've made mistakes. You know, not everything has gone perfectly. The times with which I've done everything I could have conceivably done to, to, to get it right and it didn't work out, you know what? I've always found the silver lining. I've been comfortable with it. It's the times that I didn't and there's those little things, those little breadcrumbs that I'm thinking about late at night where I'm going, like, if I had just done X, Y, and Z, you know, and I'm kicking myself and I'm thinking about my kids and I'm just like, it's not worth it to cut corners when this is not, I mean, people talk about buying a home as being their largest lifetime transaction. This is that times 10. This is not buying a business. This is buying a whole, this is buying a new life.
0: So you, you know less it right. about it. It's a 10X bet and you're being cheap on the analysis. You wouldn't buy a house without a house inspector. You wouldn't buy a car without a mechanic, but you're going to buy a million dollar business and you're just going to flip through the damn financials. Like, oh, uh, I think they're solid. Well, and,
1: and, and, and Elliot, so the, the thing is too, is in every deal that I have right now, and I, I mean, I literally mean every deal when they go Yuck. do quality of earnings, In this environment, there's a renegotiation at the end of this quality of earnings every time because that marketed SDE or EBITDA is never the actual, there's always something. And so there's always something. You're you're if you're skipping that step, you're number one, you're missing out on the value, but two, you're not getting to the bottom of the actual cash. You're you're gonna need not what a dollar of EBITDA is three and a half to five dollars of value. That's That's right huge. If there's even an yeah. ad back that's wrong, even a singular ad back you're calling.
0: And then let me add something out. else. So a lot of us are in our thirties or forties, right? And we talk about these unsophisticated sellers. They don't know squat. They didn't go to a fancy MBA school. These sellers be running games around people all yeah. the yeah. time. Yeah. I'm stupid stupiding yeah. you yeah. into a $5 million transaction. that should have been 1 million. And then all of a sudden who's the smart one that Wharton kid, right? Or the 60-year-old that sold his business for like eight times what the actual EBITDA was because he was able to float some BS through his financials using his accountant, who you thought was going to be more interested in being honest than being a client service provider or maybe on the deal himself. Their salesperson or whatever. The, these people have... It, it's $1 EBITDA. is $4 in my pocket as a seller. Man, I really should tell the truth, but... if if i'm on the flex i might lie and then what because you're saying everything should be smaller for a smaller deal but for the size of the bet the person's making it is the kind of bet that either exponentially grows you or like let's be honest a lot of the people where these deals go bad we never hear from them again well there's right they just off the market well that's I, what i'm I saying always, but- i always say
1: the, the, these sellers elliot the way i would characterize it is they're dumb like a fox they're dumb like a fox. They're not as clever as they no. think they are, but they're always trying to pull something with the working <laughs> capital. I'm serious. You get into no, the interim period, you sign the purchase agreement, they're supposed to deliver X amount of working capital. The one I keep seeing pop up is, you know, hey, I've bought a whole bunch of inventory, a ton of inventory because it's helped me offset some tax. I got four years worth of inventory. I'm just going to give it to you. And, and I just every time at the beginning of the deal, I tell the buyer, I'm like, well, they're not going to give you $5 million of inventory just out of the goodness of their heart, you're going to get deep into this deal and there's going to start being walkiness and they're going to start trying to be dumb like a fox. And, you know, do, do, you got to have somebody who's looked at it up front and you can go back to them and go, hey, you know, I didn't think about cost of goods sold. Did you look at that in the quality of earnings so we could do a bring down between where we were, where we are, make sense of this? Like that, those checks and balances I think are, are, are critical. What is the softening percentage that you see, Ellie? Because I tell everybody that coming out of quality verdicts, I think it's 70 to 80% EBITDA. Well, you know, if you've got a 750K EBITDA business or SDE business, that's 600 to 650 after the quality verdicts. Are you seeing the same thing? Like, what's your perspective?
0: I am, but even more important message, I think, is last year about 80% of the deals came out of QOE in a place where even if they were off, like you said, Eric, There was a way to renegotiate it to still get a deal done. It wasn't like maliciously, just totally off. This year, 40 to 50% of my deals have been completely fraudulent. Completely fraudulent. Completely fraudulent. I'm talking about people adding a million dollars of deposits into a bank account, trying to claim it was customers that paid in cash, but there's no invoices. Say that again for a
2: fact. How many?
0: a million dollars worth of cash was deposited into a bank and credited as revenue.
1: No, what, what percentage is what you Yeah, no, I mean the percentage. 40, of
0: the 40, 40, about 40 to 45% of the deals this year have been like fraudulent. That is mind-blowing. Now, fraudulent, I will say I am a, not the cheapest fraudulent earnings provider. So I think that there's some bias there. And I think people who have tough deals are more likely to come my way out of fairness, right? But there's probably been $50 million of purchase price that I've saved people from going to the poorhouse. Like it was completely fraudulent. I had an accountant on a call after the, he tried to filibuster me and like outlast saying BS on phone calls. (laughs) And finally he said, you know, we understand Gap, but we just don't adhere to it here at this company. It was like a $2.7 million EBITDA business that was really throwing off like 1.3. What? With an adjustment... When we knocked off the first five hundred thousand dollar adjustment, you know these fools came with another five hundred thousand dollar adjustment, calling it prepaids that they hadn't talked about before. I mean, this crazy stuff is happening. So they they threw and a, these are all threw, people with great brand man. names they're on their firms. I had another company where the the company was using a company that basically your customer pays this company because they're only going to pay that company in thirty days. You need the money now. It's like factoring. And the factoring company's information did not match the company's information. And so, and on a low EBITDA or SDE business, it it was like, there were probably four or five things in the deal that were potential issues that would have been bigger than the whole of the EBITDA that was being purchased. Wow. That's,
1: let's talk about this for a few more minutes, because this is shocking to me. This is shocking to me. I tell everybody. Totally.
2: I'm, I'm, I'm actually floored.
1: I I tell every single buyer that your deal is going to die in one of two places. It's either going to die in the quality of earnings or it's going to die at the three yard line. We don't really see the ones that die in quality of earnings, although we do have people come to us from time to time in there, so we don't have a ton of visibility to what's going on in there. Are there any themes in this, you call them fraudulent? I mean, fraudulent's a high bar. I mean, you're telling me that they are intentionally nefariously trying to scam buyers. Is Is that what you're asserting?
0: Yes. And I'm saying it emphatically now, I've been in the closet with the historically because people like to argue, but let's just be honest, that owner that deposited a million dollars into his bank account and tried to call it revenue with no invoices, what was he trying to do? It was a mistake.
1: uh, That's fraud. I mean, if if you have, what's the technical term, Kevin, in, in the, under the law C enter, you know, it's the, the malicious intent to try to deceive somebody that's fraud. Yeah. If, you, um, try to, that's if you try to than, throw $2.7
0: um, $2. million dollars of EBITDA, that's really 1.3. And when the adjustments are kicked out by the quality of earnings provider, you try to make up for them by a fraudulent $500,000 of prepay. What was that? A mistake? Well, no, I agree. And I guess what I'm
1: trying to drill down on is these, these sellers and their books on Main Street, you know, they leave a lot to be desired. And so to me, there's a big distinction between I have bad bu- bookkeeping practices and therefore my product when I market my business is,
0: you know, less than accurate. You know, there's different there, I, but, I, but like sometimes these folks are lying. Here's the thing. So here's where I think it's different. Bad bookkeeper, not in accrual basis, financials, maybe some inventory got expensed. Maybe some family members took some stuff. Maybe some vacations were off. Like, I live in that every day. So all that messy marketplace stuff, all the stuff that's talked about around poor, I don't even want to say poor, just Main Street-sized accounting systems. Like, I eat that for breakfast. What I'm saying is this year, I've seen more deals where I am 100% sure that the seller was trying to defraud somebody into paying a multiple on, like, $500,000 to $1 million of fraudulent bogus And they got all the stories and they got all the, well, this is what happened. And they got all the accountants who have CPA on them, but they can talk about a situation for hours and never say that this is fake. And if you're not persistent enough or you're not pushing hard enough, which I've seen a lot of people not do, you believe the story and keep going. And then people say, oh, well, the SBA is going to, they're only going to do it if it's a good deal. How are all these people talking about they lost all this money if the SBA catches these things? And so I think I think we have to be honest about there's messy books and then there's fraudulent activity, attempting to put people in the poorhouse. And when markets get bad, what do you think happens? The honorable people even start telling the stories, right? Cause they had their retirement set on selling a business at a certain price. They can't do it no more. So what are they doing? I'm not, I'm not trying to be a Debbie downer cause I still think buying companies is the right thing. I'm just saying, watch your behind. This isn't the time to be skinny on your diligence. So. Aside from the obvious of,
1: you know, go hire a quality of earnings provider and a lawyer, like how, I'm a first time buyer. How do I make sure that I don't buy one of these businesses? What's the,
2: I wanted to ask this exact question.
0: I I think you have to have some concept that you are no longer objective after that seller signs your LOR, I think is step one. You need to realize that you are more incented to go from typically six figure earnings to seven figure ownership. And that's gonna taint your lens. I think you also have to admit, where are you like top 10%? Like, are you a top 10% lawyer or a top 10% accountant or or a top 10% operations analyzer? If you're not kind of top 10% or top 25%, you probably wanna get some help in the mission critical things for the business. Now I'm not saying spend frivolously on everything. Maybe it's your cousin, right? Maybe it's somebody that you barter with on SMB Twitter. Maybe somebody you pay $10,000 for a trip to Vegas to check out that HVAC business down the street. I'm just saying, get some help. And then I also think you got to stop believing brokers and sellers just because they're old and they have brand names. You got to realize these jokers are, if they tell a story, you're going to pay four to six times that story. And you'll be talking to Lisa Forrest or, or Bruce Marks about what had happened was, and they're going to be like, yeah, and what's going to happen is terrible, right? There's no take back here. And so I think we listen to these folks and here's the thing that's funny to me. So as a broker, I had this conversation a couple of days ago, and a broker is typically not a CPA, and they're definitely not a diligence provider, and their level of analysis is not that a QOE. So they'll be financial people, and you'll want to listen to them. But at the end of the day, they're taking the stuff that the seller did. They're knowing that higher EBITDA businesses are going to sell quicker at higher multiples. They get 10%. And they're pushing it out, looking real glossy, and we're believing some of this stuff. I think you got to be willing to spend the extra week kicking the tires, even if you have to miss a deadline with the seller. So, Eric, I think one of the things that where the rubber really hits the road is you told the seller you're going to close in 90 days and 75 days into your 90. So 15 days before close, you find something that could be fraudulent or off to the level of 50 percent of the deal. But to investigate it, you got to push the closing date and you got to risk losing the deal. That's the And that's the time when men are made and women are made. Yeah. Do you have the stones to realize you can't bet a million bucks just because you told somebody a deadline, then now you have 50% of this value that you're supposed to be buying. That's at risk. You need to go take the time to go check it out. And if you need to get some help, go get the help.
2: So I'm, I'm just thinking about the numbers, Elliot, and maybe, maybe you like us don't have a lot of visibility kind of post closing and ongoing operations, but I'd, I'd be curious your thoughts, if you do have any data or anecdotes here, just by sheer numbers, if like what you're seeing in terms of like, whether it's playing fast and loose, out 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 and out fraud, whatever, versus like your default rates in SBA loans and these businesses like actually failing, there, there's a wide gap there, which would lead me to believe that there's probably a lot of deals where this is happening. It's not being uncovered until post-closing, but due to the what the, the grit and determination and business savvy of the buyer, they get through. So it's not like they aren't harmed. They just haven't actually failed. Is that I mean, is that kind of.
0: I think the recourse of the SBA 7A loan is so great that that's why the default rates are so low, because people have no choice but to fight through it. Even that person that closes the business and goes and gets a job at Google and pays that note because they don't want to go into bankruptcy right that shows up as a non-defaulted loan and i, I know people you're are saying, doing yeah. that however there's also because people are going to tell me that i was like debited down and there's also times when like 15 percent of that EBITDA you should just know that there's going to be something funky nobody's going to catch right yeah. and, and that's just the, the the game that we play i think where you have to be careful is like if you miss a 40 percent thing you could be fighting for your life six weeks in, like a 15% thing, no big deal. But here's what I would say. If you don't talk accounting, if you don't speak that language, I would argue you don't know a 15% thing from a 40% thing. For instance, on that podcast that they talked about the deal falling apart, they mentioned uh, a working capital thing was off. What they didn't mention is that working capital thing actually affected EBITDA dollar for dollar. So they overpaid at a four edge multiple on that working capital shift. I knew that as soon as I heard it. Just the way it was presented. But a lot of people wouldn't recognize that's just not a working capital thing. It's not like working capital to come from 500 to 300. That's $200,000 that you would that wasn't there that you paid for each multiple. $800,000 of value you overpaid.
2: Yeah, Who some why? people hear- Everybody knows that. Some people hear 200 and say, ooh, rough, but could have gotten through it without appreciating. No, that's $800,000. That's 800.
0: A, that's way more rough, yeah. And that bank wants a payment on the 800. You can't tell them, oh, but, But it wasn't real, guys. (laughs)
1: You know? Do do you think people should be buying these businesses without a strong grasp of financial accounting, Elliot? I don't think you need a strong grasp. Quality of earnings is enough um, to make sure it's done right?
0: You know, it's funny in this world, man. So if I think about the typical SMB lifespan, let's call it 10 years, right? Let's call it two years searching and like year one, you suck first six months you suck you go take somebody's class you get a little better you get some reps you get a little better and sometimes between like nine months and 18 you close on a deal for the next seven or eight years you're an operator or a wealth creator or asset manager depending on if you're an owner operator or you're going to hire somebody to run your business or whatever but at the end of the day you're still trying to maximize operations for maximum cash flow and then for like a year or two you're trying to turn into a seller So I don't think it's necessary for a person to be a perfect accountant or even a perfect lawyer for those two years that that's something that they're going to need. I think you hire out for that, but you hire out in a place that you trust because the stakes are too high. You can't. Well, it's very hard to operate yourself out of a 40 percent miss on diligence. So I would say the main skill that a surger has to have is a growth. Mindset and willingness to hop in there roll their sleeves up and get to work. So I think they should hire out for things like accounting and legal. Because mm-hmm. you can't get, all of us have been doing this for 10, 15 years plus at the highest level. You're not getting this knowledge reading some books and some tweets in, in six months. Like the game that we have in our heads and the muscle memory. Yeah. The, I bet you guys can look through legal documents and say, hey, they're setting us up to do X. So we can't do Y today Because it's gonna set us up for X. You haven't heard them say it, but I promise you, it's coming. Those kind of things, you just hire the help. There's reputable companies out here with like stellar reputations. I'm not talking to you guys, and you're saying, "Hey, you're you're stopping some work to do the podcast. You got more work to do after this." Like, hire someone who you trust.
2: Yeah, I I do. Eric just has pizza to eat after this. That's to, it, man. It's Friday,
1: ready. baby. Pizza. I'm going to I'm doing uh some balloon animals at a local kids event, so I got to get I got to get going here in a minute, but no, I, I was
2: just going to say so I, you're you're right. So many listeners are going to be like, my word, these guys like the the sky well, no, is but, falling. No, but let
1: me jump in, Kevin, cuz the upshot here and this is the issue that I had. I, I go to this boot camp yesterday and it's like, teach me about legal M&A in, you got forty five minutes to go, and and what do I in those forty five minutes? Do I go into the weeds? Do I get into substance? Do I talk about how indemnity works? Do I talk about caps, baskets, deductibles? Do I try to teach you how to negotiate a rep, or do I say, here is what the process is going to look like for hiring a lawyer? Here's when to bring us in. Here's how, here's how to find a good lawyer. Here's the, the you know how your lawyer as a service provider should think about process. Here's how your lawyer you know the type of substance your lawyer should should drive. Here's how much you should think about spending. And yeah. you know, I'm not gonna teach you to be a lawyer in 45 minutes.
0: And, and so I'm gonna take a shot yeah. at that, Eric, because I deal with this all the time. So I morphed over the years. I didn't get to this place right away. But like when somebody calls me and you can schedule calls with me on my website and like, hey man, like I'm pretty accounting savvy. I don't really know if I need a QOE. Like, can you kind of explain to me what it is and why I should pay for it? I say, hey, man, if you're not sure you want a QOE, I think you should probably not do one because it's so obvious to um, my target customer. It doesn't make sense for me to try to explain something to you that's like kind of obvious. I have a lot of content on it, a lot, a lot of content on it. If you want to get it done, that that's talk at that point. But it's like I shouldn't have to sell you into like getting a home inspector or, or getting a used yeah. car checked out. Now, I also go in the room sometimes and it's like, okay, like S&Bash, there's people who haven't closed, people who have, people who closed many times, people who mm-hmm. are checking it out or about to go home. I'm very thoughtful about who am I speaking to, to your point here. To me, I'm speaking to the wise person that's on the fence about hiring a lawyer. Because some people, we're going to hire you no matter what. And some people think they can do it themselves or their uncle's going to do it. I think when I speak, it's like, hey, here's, here's the ways you can get in trouble. Here's a solution around finding people to help. Here's like the implications of being wrong. And I think you guys need to make smart decisions. I, I try my best not to ever try to sell uphill is what I call it. Like I try to affect yeah. the people who are listening because I've gotten into situations where I'm, I'm discussing something with the person who chose a year ago not to get a QOE, it's like we're wasting both of our time. Like my value was talking to somebody who's on the fence.
1: No, well, it's on a great- the fence, yes. I, I, so, for me, I spent a lot of time trying to illustrate the value, right? Because all they think about is the price, and they go, "I just need you to do a yeah. form. I need this real quick form." And and you know, you're talking about there are levers that can be built into the legal documents that are multi-million dollar levers. And if you got to pull one of those at some point in the future, all of a sudden the value that we provided significantly outweighed the, the price. And also, even if you don't have to pull the lever, have, knowing it's there will help you sleep at night. I would imagine it's probably similar to you. It's, it's insurance. Yeah. And, yeah. and you, you have always said, Elliot, one of my favorite lines, which is, I don't know anybody who has a million bucks to lose. I don't know anybody who has, who has a million bucks to lose, whether you're have 50 million or you got nothing. Nobody has a million bucks to lose. You just got to do the right things. Check. And this is going to sound very salesy, you know, but, and we may be biased. People are going to listen to this and go, you guys are biased. We are, but we've seen the inner workings of these deals over and over and over again. We've lived it out. We've watched good outcomes, bad outcomes. And
0: it's just, it's- no, I think you're right. But like, biased ain't lying yeah yeah we sell services we've seen it nasty in small business and big business we've seen people go to the poorhouse. we've seen documents where we wouldn't have caught that thing that person would have been screwed i've seen qoes where if i didn't catch that thing that person would have been screwed that their ten thousand dollars twenty five thousand dollars saved them five million dollars of a bad deal right so i'm not lying even though i'm biased right and i think the thing about return on investment in this capacity is I think some people have come from the school of like, I want to do this cheap or their capital capacity is low. And, you know, I've gotten to the point, too, where like there are lower cost providers out there. And when people call me like, why is your price where it is? And I'm like, hey, I'm actually glad there's providers out there that charge less to fit your budget. I am an advocate for everybody to succeed. If you get stuck over there, come back here. I always want you to be able to come back. I don't want to create any tension and selling to me creates tension. And I just hope that everybody makes the right decision. I think even my coming on here and talking about this is just saying, hey, look, understand the stakes, make a good decision. We're here if you need us. But if you think you can do it by yourself, you know, go ahead. So, Kevin, I
1: think Elliot, should we should we, should we wrap, Kevin? We got eight I was, minutes left.
2: I was going to say if 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 we can, I want to take two minutes at the end. So I I tweeted that we were recording a, a short while ago and said you got thirty minutes to get to get your questions in. And a, a few people submitted. I, I I like two of them, so I want to get your your feedback rapid fire here really quick. All right, let's go. We've we've spent a lot of time on on the sky is falling. What is the best deal? to the extent you can share that's ever come across your desk as a QOE provider that you looked at it and were like, man, I wish I was buying this business.
0: I helped a guy buy a tow truck company last year. Tow truck company.
2: Really? In terms of like towing. Oh yeah. Not oh yeah. Supplying tow trucks, but towing.
0: Company. No, do They actually tow cars and those are businesses that are really just trucks and a trucking company should have a 10% margin, right? These businesses have 25 to 30% margins. They just print money. And, and, and I was wow. trying my absolute best to get them to roll my QOE into equity. Um, <laughs> I had owned a, a part of a Chochar company in my earlier years, but I, I think that was the one where I was just like strong, even no BS clean financials, like good market, big city. Yeah. The guy's doing great. So I love I think it.
1: We shared. I think we shared that client, Elliot, and that was a, a a great deal. But it's a great legal analog as well because very litigious business. Talk about legal levers. You know that there was a, a they're trucks, right? And the, the yep. if if, I, if my memory serves me, they wanted to sell the trucks as is, you know, which is a huge problem for a company that consists of nothing but trucks. Yeah, great deal. But it's funny to see your perspective versus the legal perspective. It's a great financial business legal you know? So anyways,
0: no, it's funny. I think I want to double click on that. I'm not going to take a long time and that's honesty too. From a like deal QOE perspective. Great. From a legal perspective, it might be complicated and, or touchy. And and that's the game too, guys, is that that's why you need both. Right. Totally. Love it. Yeah.
2: Final rapid fire question here, Elliot. Craziest ad back you've ever seen.
0: There's a brokerage firm that is notorious for adding everything back and waiting for the buyers to fight that every expense is real. They just start from all this shit to add back. Interesting. And I've seen three or four deals from the same firm, the same way where it's like all of the operating expenses are added back. You wouldn't incur any of them because of this story, that story, this special situation, that, <laughs> and you just have to fight for each and every one. And every time I get it, my client's like, this shouldn't be this. And I'm like, yeah, but this is what this firm does. You just, just got to play the game knowing that's what they're looking for. So the craziest ad back was they added every darn thing back.
2: It <laughs> was, was literally, literally everything.
0: Every I love that. darn thing.
2: I love that. Elliot, we always like to wrap up with uh, our, our guests plugging what they're working on. Anything you want to shout out? Uh, new, newsletter, your business, your, where people can find you on social. Feel, feel free to plug away.
0: Yep. So um, King of QOE on Twitter. That's my most active social. My website, Guardian Due Diligence, if you type that in, and even if you misspell it, um, I think my SEO is to the point where you'll probably find me there. Um, I'm in the process of building out some services that'll be adjacent to the QOE to kind of help people close deals. And there'll be a class coming soon. So stay tuned for that. And if you're on my channel, or on my newsletter, you'll you'll hear all about it.
2: Love it. Definitely subscribe to Elliot's newsletter at Guardian Due Diligence. He puts out super valuable comments content, war stories. It's a great newsletter. I look look forward to getting it every time it drops in my inbox. Elliot, thanks a lot for joining us, man. R- really great to talk to you. You're a great friend, great champion of what we're doing. Likewise, we we love what you're doing at Guardian and, and what you're doing to help this community.
0: I'm so glad you guys had me. I had a good time and it's fun working in this community with you guys. I really enjoyed it. Thanks, Elliot. Good to see you. Thanks for listening
1: to this episode of Mundane Millionaires. If you enjoyed what you heard in this episode, make sure to follow Mundane Millionaires wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts.
0: See you next time.